father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast where we waste time with fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna, coming at you from just off death's doorstep. Yep. A couple weeks ago, I was the one in the ICU. This time it was Joanna. A deathly case of salmonella food poisoning from, I think, sesame salad dressing. It was nasty. Nasty indeed. There's always, you know how you hear about people where um, they get, like, severely ill and people are like, she's such a fighter. Like, she's fighting so hard. She's, she's so such brave. A, like, that would never be me. No, she like she's such a dire. She's such a loser. <laughs> she's, she's such, such a weak whale. Spineless a puddle. <laughs> like as soon as I hit, I'm in like the slightest bit of discomfort. I'm like, well, I've had a good run. I might as well just die. I might as well just die. So basically, I was prepared for death by Wednesday morning. But you're here to record a podcast today. It's it's a Christmas miracle. It's a, it is a Christmas miracle. Rather early Christmas miracle, mm-hmm. but a Christmas miracle nonetheless. But hey, you know what? We are not going to be negligent in our duties, despite all our personal turmoil. Hey, I'm good. Uh, you good? You got any Star Wars news? Yes. What's up? So I don't know if you noticed, the internet is abuzz with excitement over the new Han Solo movie. Has it come out yet? No, it comes out end of May, May 25th. But until then, there's a certain restaurant. Yes. That's going to have a special menu. Yes. Themed around the Han Solo movie. <gasps> Oh my god, is it Denny's? It is Denny's. And knew you were going to say Denny's because they did that for The Hobbit. Now, what I like about this menu <laughs> choice is that they looked at The Force Awakens and says, no, 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 we can't come up with anything good for that. Last Jedi, it's tough, it's tough. Pork pancakes doesn't really roll off the tongue. Nobody wants to eat pork Solo. pancakes. Solo. Solo. Now there's a movie we can make a themed menu over. Not only that, they're going to bring back the trading cards that they had for The Hobbit as well. And this is getting a lot of buzz on the internet because one of the cards is released, naming one of the aliens that's at Lando's gambling table. Yes. And his name is Thurn Scissor Punch. <laughs> I'm going to show you right now. <laughs> that sounds like a made-up name now, that they would they would throw they would toss off in like um, mystery science theater. It feels or like a name that Chris Lord and Phil Miller came up with before they were fired, and they got fired because of it. So <laughs> that was the last straw. They're like, "Well, you're fired for coming up no, with this name." I'm going to we'll show you a third there. scissor punch, and you're going to understand exactly why his name is Scissor Punch. <laughs> oh my god! His name really is Scissor Punch. He's literally a lobster. <laughs> He's got lobster claws. So yeah, I guess it would be like getting punched with a pair of scissors. So that's big news for us. I I don't know about you, Joanna, but I feel like we should uh, record an episode out of Denny's. Oh, they probably let us too. Yeah. Like, Denny's don't give a crap. You think I'm joking, but I'm serious. I think uh, we no, do, I'm being serious too. We should do a solo Denny's solo dinner experience for Solo, the Han Solo story, the Star Wars story movie Han Solo. Remember our theory that every 24 hours at least one person is born and dies in a Denny's? Yes. If, if that's happening, then they're not going to care if we record a podcast. I think we should review the menu items. Yes. And let people know how Lando Calrissian's Red Velvet Pancake Puppies turn out. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I'm just hoping that the sin Energy is as good as it was with the Hobbit because the theming was like. Well, we had the Hobbit hole breakfast. <laughs> My friend Blake like you're and I eating a Hobbit's hole. Yuck! We enjoyed the Hobbit slam, which is just a grand <laughs> slam, but you get things like Shire sausage. They also had frog in a hole. They did have frog in a hole, but they called it that was the Hobbit hole, Joanna. That was not. That's right. That was the Hobbit hole, and the 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 the, the Radagast the Brown's red velvet pancake puppies though a mouthful was inspired. Not only is it a mouthful but at no point do we see radagast the brown eating pancakes red velvet interacting with puppies i know now these ones aren't just breakfast items i looked it up a little bit and we'll go and, and report on this firsthand account on our on, on our first what's lightsaber's precious on the street recording on location on location uh recording i'm really hoping that they have a a blue milkshake <gasps> That'd be perfect, right? Wouldn't that be perfect? Or like one of those frogs that Jabba the Hutt eats. Or maybe if they do want to get in some like sort of last Jedi synergy in there, yeah. they bring out a replica of that thing that Luke milked well, we and milk then you just like squirt it directly <laughs> into your mouth. <laughs> Yummy. Weird everybody out. I love it. That yeah, is big news. That's big news. We're going to go to Denny's. We'll look forward to it, guys. Can't wait. Cool. 
Any Lord of the Rings news this week? Oh my gosh, yes. So really, 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 really big Lord of the Rings news this week, actually. For you or for the world? For the world. Okay. For the what? Nay, for the universe. Okay. It's been announced that this August the 30th, 2018. Coming up soon. Yes. The newest Tolkien novel will be published. Wait, he's dead. Yeah, obviously posthumous. I mean, everything except, like, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings has been, like, posthumous. What story is it going to be? It is The Fall of Gondolin. Well, we already have a wonderful podcast episode about that. There's no need for this We do! No, 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 my friend. No, no, no. Because that information on The Fall of Gondolin was based on the discussion in The Silmarillion, which is just very basic and fragmentary in nature. This is going to be an entire novel. Wow. One of the oldest Tolkien texts in existence, by the way. Cool. So alongside Baron and Luthien, which we've discussed, and the Children of Hurin, which we've also discussed, it's classified as one of Tolkien's three great tales. However, it's so old, right? Tolkien first wrote it down in 1917 when he was like 25 years old. Yeah. And it's such a mess. Tolkien wrote condensed versions of the same story in 1926 and 1930 and then started rewriting it in 1951, right? So, like, a lot of fans never expected it to be officially published because Tolkien's editorial strategy, his way of editing his work was... I believe the scientific term would just be nonsense. Didn't. Didn't? Well, he did, but he'd just, like, randomly start rewriting parts. Okay. And so there's, like, a million different versions that exist. And we don't know which supersedes the other. Now, does that create a Tolkien multiverse? Where, like, there's one timeline. It's like the Marvel universe, where, like, 616 universe, the Ultimates universe, the movie universe. They're all parallel dimensions. Now, I feel like it would. Yeah. To a much greater extent, except that Christopher Tolkien uses his sort of editorial powers to collect, collate, and, like, unify all the various versions. That's too much power for one man. Who's who's watching The Watchmen, Joanna? Nobody. Nobody is watching Christopher Tolkien. We have to take his word on a lot of stuff. However, I do appreciate the fact that at 93 years old, which this just in is really old, Christopher is really trying to get as much of his dad's work out there as he can before he passes because he probably doesn't have a lot of time left on this planet okay so i do appreciate that despite other differences i may have christopher tolkien mm-hmm. right so at the moment bless christopher tolkien bless harper collins who's publishing the book you can tell i'm very excited that it's coming out yeah more daddy's books this could be the last one ever i mean i said that with baron and luthien but this really could be the last one ever well his last is three great tales will be complete yeah in exactly. trilogy format they can well, sell it in a nice left. box you can put display them on your shelf and i bet proudly. it's gonna be beautiful because every time one of tolkien's books comes out like they always give it a really beautiful hardback release and, and they get like todd mcfarlane to illustrate it todd <laughs> mcfarlane or like rob liefeld and no they do not <laughs> they usually get like alan lee or john howe rob liefeld rob liefeld's lord of the rings wouldn't you kill to see that no i would i would kill not to see it think of how little feet you'd see in the whole adventure like the hobbits would be the hobbits would always be on two <laughs> Gandalf would have, like, 57 different pouches. All the pouches. Oh, my God. I would hate that with every single fiber of my being. Oh, I really want to draw that now. Stop talking about it. There's another thing I want to talk about, actually. Okay. I got a big old welcome packet from the Tolkien Society. Yeah. You're official now. I am. So it came directly from Oxfordshire, and the welcome letter is written in papyrus fonts. But I don't really care because, Ryan, but actually I don't care. Shut up. It's the Tolkien Society, not the Font Snob Society. If they were cool, what they would do is they would, I mean, Christopher Tolkien's got all of Daddy's notes. What they should do is they should digitize J.R.R.'s handwriting and turn it into a font and then write letters with that. I've never actually... That is possible. You can do that. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I'm not sure, like, the legibility of... Because, you know, there's... I'd rather have it be illegible than be in papyrus. Would you, though, if you were in, like, public relations and member relations for, like, an international society, wouldn't... Would you not care if it was illegible? Yes. All right. 
I, I lost control because there were double negatives, so I actually have no idea how you just answered, but... I answered yes, and I stand by my answer. Okay! Well, I stand by my answer that it doesn't matter that it's in papyrus font. Because the important thing is that this packet includes a membership card and two postcards, one of which is a super cool Tolkien illustration of a dragon, and the other of which is three people who look to be about my age, I think, painting minifigures? Like for Warhammer? Yeah, maybe some type of Tolkien-related Warhammer game. Like, at first, you and I joked that maybe they pick these three people for the postcard because they're some of the only, like, youngish members of the society. So they're like, look, other young people are in this club. Please join. But when I look at the new members list in the back of the society bulletin that was also included in the packet, I actually see a lot of student members listed. Okay. Unless they're all lying. So, you know, maybe you and I were just stereotyping. However... On the other hand, in fairness to us, the bulletin also describes activities that are popular during the Tolkien Society annual general meeting, and these include, quote, a railway museum, castles, a Tolkien-related location, or a gin distillery. Sounds charming. So, those do sound like things that a somewhat older crowd would enjoy. Actually, I think you and I had the exact same reaction, which is that it sounds like stuff my uncle would enjoy. But he's awfully English. Uh, he is very, very English. Born in England and everything. Wonderful man. Very, very English. But you know what? I actually think I could roll with these activities. You know what? Like, I was thinking about it. Sometimes stuff like that can also be dope. Like, sometimes stuff that old people like can be dope. Do you ever just, like, talk to an old person and they're like, a person? And you're like, whoa. And they just, like, know these things that you don't know because, like, they were alive and you weren't? Dude, you remember when the train was invented. You're old. I could learn a lot from you. Your wisdom. And in a way, it's dope. It's dope to have wisdom. So, yeah. Um, anywho, before we finish with the subject of the welcome packet, yeah. I wanted to mention a few of the things that appear on the list of frequently asked questions concerning Tolkien and his writings. Okay. The first question is, who was J.R.R. Tolkien? Now... This is really inside information, Joanne. Are you sure you want to share this with the listening this is public? Very this is something you paid for. You're a card. <laughs> I paid I don't, 30 pounds for you this. You don't want to disseminate this information honestly, to honestly, untrained ears. If you've purchased a Tolkien Society membership and you don't know who J.R.R. Tolkien was, I'm very confused. I like, thought it was a token society. <laughs> I'm, I'm into collecting tokens, tokens. from tokens. various arcades. I'm into token minorities and <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe you're like a very, very casual fan of the movie version of The Lord of the Rings and you like weren't even aware that it was based on a book and then you heard some vague reference to a guy called Tolkien and you were like, huh, I wonder how he was involved. How was he mixed up in all this? He like the movie director or something. No, like, what, was, what was his role exactly? Huh. So you decided to find out who he was by joining a society named after the guy instead of just Googling it because you're either like a thousand years old or you're a space alien. <laughs> but I mean, anyway, that's covered in this FAQ. But we've got to move on, but I will keep you updated on other things I received from the Tolkien Society. It's pretty fun so far. Good. And I know, Ryan, you and I were saying that if we ever visit Europe on vacation in the future, it might be fun to try and time it to coincide with one of the Society's annual general meetings. I think that's, like, the only on-location episode that could possibly top recording it in a Denny's. Only by a little bit. Only by a smidge. And only if we go to the both the Railway Museum and the Gin Distillery. Maybe Denny's. And maybe Denny's. Maybe the Denny's in England, in Oxfordshire. Oh my God, we are dreaming big. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about the man of the hour, Mr. Aragorn Elisar. Yeah, big A. Heir of Isildur through 39 generations. Chieftain of the Dúnedain in the north. King of the reunited kingdom of Arnor and Gondor. And the greatest traveler and huntsman in the third age of the world. Are you his hype man or something? Uh, This is just all literally stuff that's... there's, There's... are all just his titles. I imagine having to say all that when he enters a room, like, presenting Aragorn, and like, But that's what later. they do, though. Yeah. Like, royalty. They'll be like, you know, like, queen of the Andals, chief of the first men. I don't know, I'm doing Game of Thrones for some yeah. reason. But that's, like, what they do. So the last time we discussed the Dúnedain, i.e. the Numenorians who escaped the destruction of Numenor and set up a new civilization in Middle-earth, mm-hmm. 
This civilization consisted of Gondor in the south and Arnor in the north, right? But thanks to some evil meddling by the Witch King of Angmar, or should I say the Bitch King of Angmar? Because he's a little bish. He went there. A little bish. Arnor kind of fell apart. And the population of the northern Dunedain was greatly reduced, and those that were left were just kind of wandering about, hunting and fishing. However... The line of royal descendants from Isildur was technically not broken. Instead of having kings, these latter-day northern Dunedain, or rangers, as they came to be called, had chieftains. So the line of kings pretty much continued unbroken through these chieftains. Now, toward the end of the Third Age, one of these chieftains was Aragorn's daddy, Arathorn II. We don't know much about Arathorn. I'm sure he was like a great guy, but he didn't do much of anything that was notable enough to get recorded, apparently. When he was 56, he did marry his wife, Gilrain, who was 22 at the time. Which, like, yeah, gross, but keep two things in mind. Firstly, the Dunedain aged slowly. Like, Aragorn was 87 during the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, Did he look it? No. Secondly, when Aragorn married Arwen, he was in his late 80s, and she was about 2,800 years old. Cradle robber. I don't want to talk about an age gap. Age is just a number. Especially when you're an elf. Yeah, very, very big number. All right, so Arathorn and Gilrain got hitched. And in pretty short order, Gilrain gave birth to Aragorn. But then, when Aragorn is just two years old, his daddy takes an orcish arrow to the eye. He dead. He dead. So Aragorn's kind of too young to become a chieftain, being only two years old. And being a single mom is really hard. So Gilrain decides to move to Rivendell and gets Elrond to act as a sort of foster father. And we can definitely speculate that this is why Aragorn is so fluent in Elvish, so well-versed in Elvish customs, etc. Mm-hmm. In his upbringing, he was essentially culturally Elvish, much like Turin Turambar in The Children of Hurin. But, here's the thing. Aragorn was like the sole heir of Isildur, right? So he was like a prime assassination target. Oh, yeah. Because if there's one thing Sauron absolutely did not want, it was for Isildur's heir to be restored to the throne. So Elrond got Gilrain to hide Aragorn's identity, even from Aragorn himself. As in, Aragorn did not know that he was Aragorn. He did not know what his real name was until he was like 20 years old. What did they call him? Well, they called him Estelle, which is the elvish word for hope. And I know Estelle is kind of a girly name. Okay, yeah, look it up. There's a good like British pop artist with that name. And there, yes, yes, there is. She has the voice of Garnet. <laughs> she does in Steven Universe. But here's the thing. Isn't it even more intimidating when you see a really tough looking guy and he has like a wussy sounding name? Like if you see a super buff dude with facial scars and prison tats and eyes that look in separate directions, you're going to be scared. But if you find out that dude's name is Leslie... Like, at that point, you just accept that you're going to die. This, this is a song already. Is this a song? A boy called Sue. Yeah. And what did he do? He became, like, super good at fighting, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you met a boy named Sue, you're going to die. Yeah. So, anywho, when Lil Estelle was, like, 20, his true identity was revealed to him, and he was like, you mean I could have been not called Estelle this entire time? So, at that point, he was given two objects. One was the Ring of Barahir, which was the ring his ancestor, Baron had worn, Baron of Baron and Luthien mm-hmm. fame. Yep, yep, yep. The other was the Shards of Narsil, the swords Isildur used to cut the one ring from Sauron's hand. Now, I know in the movie, they kind of show, like, oh, the Shards of Narsil are, like, stored at Rivendell. Laid out. On, like, this Pretty tablet, right? Yeah. Uh, which is cool looking, but that's not how it happens in the book. So like, he already of, has them. They kind of moved it, moved it, made it more of a dramatic moment. Yeah, because it's more dramatic when it gets, the sword gets reforged, like, much later on, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, this, like, Elrond visits Aragorn in that camp with all the Rohirrim, and it's, like, super dramatic. Anyway, that's not how it happened in the book. He got Narsil at this point. Okay. He also bumped into Elrond's youngest daughter, youngest being a relative term, because she was 2,710 years old at the time. So in a scene very similar to when Baron and Luthien ran into each other, Aragorn came across Arwen in the forest and was just immediately smitten with her beauty and her grace. And she evidently thought he was pretty all right, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he was 20, she's so like literally an infant by her standards. But now that he knew his true identity, he couldn't hang around Rivendell flirting all day with some broad. So he said farewell to Arwen and he went up north to meet his fellow Dunedain, whose chief he technically was, if you remember. Yeah, he got a on his motorbike and sow his wild oats. 
Take a, get in the road, baby. Yeah, yeah, his cool road trip. And one of the first people he met on his road trip, finding himself, was Gandalf. Whoa, really? Yes. And the two embarked on a series of daring and wacky adventures together. This adventures, escapades. Yeah. So, for example, Aragorn fought for both Thangol of Rohan, who was King Theoden's dad. Oh, okay. And Ecthelion II of Gondor, who was Denethor's dad. All the famous dads. And you'll remember, in the extended version of The Two Towers... Aragorn mentions to Eowyn that he knew Theoden when Theoden was a small boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, during that was during this time. Uh, and and Eowyn's Denith- like, what the heck, man? Yeah. It's like, okay, now I look older than you. How is this fair? Yeah. And Aragorn's like, moisturize, bro. Yeah. It's not gay to moisturize. You gotta moisturize. Manly to take care of your skin, dude. Yeah, no homo. No homo. So anyway, this is how Aragorn got a feel for men and the kingdoms he would one day lead, but he was actually being kind of stealth about it because he wasn't visiting these rulers and saying like, sup, I'm your future king. He was using a pseudonym, Thorongil, which means... Eagle of the Star, which sounds American as hell. Throngil. Throngil. Just rolls off the tongue. American. American. Throngil. He was also sometimes called Longshanks. Um, <laughs> because he had long legs. Long you think like that's so funny, but Sam says it in Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, it's very funny, though. It's a very good name. He says, like, you know, let go of Frodo, or I'll have you, Longshanks. That was one of his nicknames. I don't know why. Why is that funny to you? <laughs> no, it's just funny. Shanks. Shanks funny to you. Long Shanks. Shanks for the memory. Shanks for the memory. He just had very long legs, okay? He can't help it. After leaving the service of Ecthelion, Aragorn went east to Lothlorien, where he was reunited with Arwen after 29 years. Blink mm. of an eye for her, but... Yeah. I saw yesterday. Yeah. And they officially declared their love to one another. This pissed Elrond off tremendously. Hey, stop going steady with my girl. Yeah, but my daughter. yeah, my daughter. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to go back to jail. You know, I have a gun and I know how to use it. Like all those <laughs> creepy possessive things that dads wear on like t-shirts. He and comes stuff. back to Rivendell and Elrond's on the front porch with a shotgun. <laughs> just tapping his foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was pissed, but he probably figured it was just teenage hormones or whatever. By the way, at this time, Aragorn's mother Gilrain also died. Oh. And, yeah, sad. Her final words to Aragorn were, um, which means, I Your gave... shanks are super long. <laughs> Look at them long shanks. <laughs> Boy, your shanks! Wouldn't it be, like, awesome if, um, the song, the song Legs, like, hot legs. legs! If it was just, long shanks! Long shanks! <laughs> I love you, honey! <laughs> hot shanks! Sorry to interrupt this this very somber... The word shanks was not funny to me until you started laughing about it. And you're ruining this nice moment also. Sorry, sorry, means, sorry, sorry. I gave hope to the Dunedain. I have kept no hope for myself. Ooh. And there's a double meaning here because hope, Estelle, Estelle. was also Aragorn's name at the beginning of his life. Right, okay. Um, by the way, this line does show up in the Peter Jackson movies, though Gilrain isn't in them. Instead, Elrond says it to Aragorn when he hands over the reforged Narsil. Maybe he says quoting Aragorn's mom. That is also my thought. Some people complain that this is kind of a distortion of the original use since Gilrain was saying it in like a really despairing way. Like, I have no hope left in this world. My life has been nothing but loss. Whereas Elrond was saying it in more of a rah-rah, like, yeah, go get him, kid. You're going to be a star. Yeah, you are the hope. Um, you are the Estelle. But but I don't really care. I just like I was just happy they put it in the movie. It's a nice quote. Yeah, it's a nice quote. Now, having lost his mother, Aragorn meets up with Gandalf again, and Gandalf is just back on his crap. So he tells Aragorn about this little hobbit friend of his, Bilbo Baggins, who got this magic ring from this weird little fella named Gollum. Mm. And now it's looking like that ring might more consequential than he thought might be kind of a big deal yeah yeah and the rest as they say is history wow all right yeah that's what happened after well um he became king in his late 80s he married arwen they had three children they had a boy eldarion and two daughters uh aragorn lived to be 210 years old wow. and right. he uh after the fashion of his people he gave up his life willingly at the end of it, which Good means for- I think he just released his spirit or whatever. And then Arwen also passed. Good life. Good life. Good man. That yeah. Aragorn, that long shanks. They make some movies about that guy. You know, I think they might have. They're pretty. They might be pretty good. Kind of, kind of obscure. I'll have to look it up. I'm not sure how they, how well they did in the box office, but now did. Tolkien describe him as a Native American man with a He-Man haircut. <laughs> he 
talking about the Bakshi version? Yes. <laughs> or super Native American. No also, pants. No pants. Very, very short skirt. Boromir is like also a literal Viking with yeah, like a Viking yeah. helmet with horns and also a very short skirt. I assume that the person they were rotoscoping over just had very, very Native American features. And there's no problem with him being Native American. No, of course not. In, it's just... It's just an odd choice. And Yeah, it's just like a little bit random. No, I think I figured it out why he has such a short skirt. Why? Show off those long shanks. <laughs> makes his shanks look longer. <laughs> yeah. See, that's why everybody thought his shanks were so long, but actually it's just that his skirt was so short. I want a man with a short <laughs> skirt and a long... Shanks! shanks! <laughs> I'm gonna die. Okay. <laughs> I don't have the strength left in me after a week of food poisoning to laugh about the word shanks anymore. All right. All right. That's where we're going to end for today. Thank you for telling me about Aragorn. He had a, I didn't know all that stuff about his youngness. Yes, his, his, young, his youngness. His younger Whatever. years. His youth, as his a young youth. buck. Yeah. All right. You ready for the Star Wars segment, Joanna? I was born ready for the Star Wars segment, Ryan. So last week, we started our Most Eisley Madness here we finished the first half of our bracket we got to the finals going ahead this week is Muftak and cave yeah favorites to win an, from uh, the last an bracket. underdog duo but uh, one that's poised to take this whole tournament yeah we have four new competitors today and you need i need your help deciding who's going to come out on top of most eisley you're the only one who can help me i'm ready late on me i'm ready to do the color commentary here help me joby Wan kenobi all right i'm your only hope okay we're starting with a guy called Cardu Saimalak. Ooh, that's a mouthful. Cardu Saimalak. We can call him Malak, and he Malak. looks like this. He, oh, that's the guy that's literally Satan. The guy who just got devil makeup on He just him. did like a red face and devil horn. Yeah. Now, he's, his name is, yeah, Cardu Saimalak, or just Malak. Uh, Malak even sounds like Moloch. I just thought to point I know, that out. I know, I <laughs> know. It's almost like it was intentional. Yeah. Now, he's, had a, he's got a pretty interesting life. This is a guy, he might look like a devil. Yes. But he was once an army captain, a music aficionado, and the worst spy in Mos Eisley. So how does one devil man become all of those things? I don't know. He's a renaissance devil man. Let me tell you about that story. All right. Tell so Malak was born on Devaronia. He's a Devaronian. Devaronia. Dev- yep. Yep. And he came from a military family and joined Devaron's army and became a captain, despite music being his passion. Ever since he was young, he wanted to be a musician and... and, and Did he even play any instruments? No, he says... Music what was his... Poser. Listen, music was his life, okay? He's just one of those guys who, like, noodles around on acoustic guitar in the hallway at high school, and... He's just like, you know what? Gets insane amount of, uh, female attention. Bold take, but music is cool. And so... <laughs> yeah. So the Empire took over, and the Rebellion had a small insurgence on Deveronia, and Malak's unit was combating that rebellion under Imperial orders. Okay. He commanded a siege of a city called Montellian Surat, where 700 rebel agents were holed up. And eventually, he broke down their defenses, and they surrendered. Yeah. So they surrendered, and he put them in a holding pen to decide what to do with them later. The next day, there was a second group of rebels that needed pursuing, and the Empire commanded Malak to intercept them, telling him in the process that he was not to leave guards behind for the captured rebels. Now, if you were to hear something like that, what would, you, what, is, what would that mean to you? Don't leave guards behind for the captured rebels. Right. But Malak took that as imperial doublespeak and executed all of them. Oh my god! What? He's like, well, I thought you meant... Th- 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 I thought you meant kill him! You didn't mean kill him? Whoops! So if the- you, oh man, if you wanted me to not kill him, you should have said not kill him! So this one action kind of killed his military career. <laughs> he was labeled as the Butcher of Montellian Surat. Well, and- I mean, but he's Satan, so what do you expect him to do? He's not a bad guy, just a music lover. <laughs> so he had a bad choice. He's like, I could either resign from the army yeah. and get tried by my own people, or, you know, if I resign for the Empire, they're going to put me on trial for deserting, and so he decided to leave instead. Okay, He cool. fled. That's what I would do, to be honest, and I'm not even the devil. Because he killed 700 rebels in one fell action, the rebellion had a 5 million credit bounty on his head. And so he moved around the galaxy, hopping from planet to planet, and in the process, he was actually able to follow his passion for music. So he was able to travel with touring bands from planet to oh planet. Oh my god, see? So when, like, when one door closes, another door opens. Yeah. When 700 Live doors close. Love, Satan. When 700 <laughs> doors close. Close and are suddenly silenced. Yeah. 
But eventually he made it to most Eisley in Tatooine, and he called himself Labria, which was kind of a funny name in Devaronese, because it meant cold food. Cold food? That was his, that was his like, pseudonym while All he was right, there. cool. I forgot to have, a, uh, you know, their street name. So he became an information broker and considered himself a super spy, but he rarely bothered to verify his sources. <laughs> no, so he's just, like, making crap he up. He would basically make crap up, and he'd take the money and get drunk at the most Eisley Cantina. <laughs> he would definitely be that guy that's like, hey... Um, I heard that the Clintons are running a prostitution ring out of a pizza parlor. <laughs> hey, I heard, I heard Goku's going to be the next Smash Brothers. Goku's my uncle said. My uncle works at Nintendo. He works at Nintendo, yeah. So he got drunk all the time and as a result became good friends with the bartender who you see in the movie saying, no blasters, no blasters. Right, right, right. Waher is his name. Waher? Waher. W-U-H-E-R. Waher. 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 Waherpened. Waherpened. <laughs> So in the year 0 ABY, which is, as you know, the year of the Battle of Yavin, right. you heard that Figur and Dan and the Modal Nodes were going to be playing for Jabba the Hutt. Now, you know Figur and Dan? Um, is that the Jizz Whalers? Those are the Jizz Whaling Buttheads in the yeah, cantina yeah, that yeah, play yeah, that yeah, classic yeah. tune. And they're one of his favorite bands. So he, mine. Heck. I love him, yeah. So he went over to Jabba's palace. He picked up a mercenary he met the previous day. And he's like, okay, I'm going to sell this mercenary's services to Jabba. And then I'll get to hang out with him and see the concert. Nice! And so Jabba's like, okay, I'll buy the mercenary off you. By the way, I'm having a party tonight. Uh, the mortal nodes will be there. Hey, mercenary, you want to come with us? <gasps> no! <laughs> and Matlock was left out in the cold. He didn't get to see his favorite band. There was a really funny paragraph after. It was also very sad. <laughs> After five days of bitterness and heavy drinking, Malak was beaten and robbed in an alleyway behind the cantina while inebriated. This is all because he's so sad about not seeing the modal nodes. Walher found him and carried him back to his apartment where Malak spent the whole day depressed in the cold shower. <laughs> you know, that is like exactly what my reaction was when I couldn't see Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to get beat up in an alley, take a cold shower for a whole day. Yeah, just wallow in misery. But then he got out of the cold shower and he heard that Lady Valerian, who is Jabba the Hutt's rival. She's kind of an extended universe character. Is she a hut? No, she's a, a whippet. Oh, wow. They're kind of like these walrus looking people. Oh, I thought it was like one of those long skinny dogs. No, that's a whippet. Oh, okay. <laughs> So he heard that the modal nodes are going to be playing her wedding. <gasps> and so he tipped off Jabba that Valerian was stealing you know, his favorite band. And so he sent Warher to the wedding to recruit the modal nodes after Jabba's goons eventually disrupted the wedding. Right. Because they will do that. Right. Jabba didn't want to be, uh, you know. Outshone. Outshone, right? Yeah. Lo and behold, for once in his life, Malak's plan worked perfectly. <gasps> you got to see them? Well, the modal nodes were hired to play the most size of Cantina because he sent Warher to go get them. And as part of the deal, Malak got seven drinks a day as long as they played there. So we have Malloc to thank for that wonderful song in the cantina scene. Finally, something, he did something right. Now, 19 years later, well after his little stint with the modal nodes, he was tracked down by Boba Fett. Yes. That five million credit bounty was still on his head. Yes, yes. And he shot it with an arrow while he was relieving himself. (laughs) Oh my god, they went out of their way to make Satan like the most pathetic character. Sorry, Malik tried to barter his music for his life. He's like, I'll give you my records. Even telling him, it was my mixtape. Even telling Fett where to send them, but his wound became infected and he was near death, and the bounty specified a live capture. And so Uh. Fett brought him back to the planet Deveron, and he was paid for his services. And as punishment for killing all those rebels so many years ago, Malak's near dead body was thrown into the ruins of Metellian Surat, the very city that he shelled and destroyed. Yes. And he was devoured by Quora, which is like a cross between an alligator and a wolf. Wait, so he died? He died. I have While to say, his infected wound was bleeding. And, <laughs> and nobody wanted to listen to his mixtape. Well, Even though it was fire. But here's the deal. Boba Fett yeah. carried out his end of the deal. He took Malak's music to where he wanted to deliver. <laughs> he delivered. actually sent it to the record producer? He sent it to this. Well, it's not Malak's music. This is his record collection. This is not oh, his oh, music. Oh, 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 oh. He delivered it to the School of Music on Coruscant. And what's interesting is that his collection had some music that was suppressed by the Empire and destroyed. And so Malak had the only copies of it in the whole galaxy. So that's something. And so his legacy lived on, even though he was a total total loser his whole life. I have to tell you, though, like, whoever you talk about next, it's going to be hard to pick someone who, like, would not defeat this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I feel like this guy's going to get defeated by just about anybody you throw out I put some jobbers in here, to be fair. Okay. The next guy we're talking about is Danic Jericho. Danic Jericho. That's a Star Wars name I've heard. You'd of. recognize him as the guy smoking a hookah at the cantina with the weird sure, nose. Sure, sure, with the weird nose. They just put a weird nose on him. He's a weird looking hookah man. He's a species called an Anzati and a bounty hunter. Related and to humans at all? Because he looks well, more or less human. You're going to find out. They're not as close to human as they look. Ooh. He was known as the Eater of Luck and by others as Death. 
Oh, God. Because Anzadi are like these space vampires who Whoa. drink a victim's brain matter, or as they call it, the soup of life. Oh, my God. And they have these secret tentacle-like proboscis that extend from their cheeks. Oh, and no. And go up the other person's nose. So this guy is like a bajillion times the threat that da- the Malak. guy who literally looks like Saint. Yeah, Malak is not much of a threat compared to Danik Jericho. Danik was an exacting bounty hunter, and he would often drain his client's soup if the price was not right. Oh, Lord. He also had a really long time. Uh, it turns out Jericho here was born in 1006 ABY. <gasps> they can live that long? Yes. Oh my god. Because they're vampires. They live off people's brain Are matter. they born on death? It's always confusing to me, like in Twilight, how is their vampire baby? Like, well, they're, they're, I read some up about their biology. They are born as children. Okay. However, they don't have, like, heartbeat. And they so don't they're have, born dead. They're born undead. Essentially, but they have these tentacle things that the boss guy i mean they must have some vital functions that need to be sustained because otherwise why would they be draining fluid i don't know here's a nasty picture i found of an anzadi feeding that is like the least sexy vampire i've ever heard of you have to like take these tubes out of your cheeks and stick them in someone's nostrils and suck their brain out that is not glamorous or sexy that's that's a whole species in star wars the anzadi his favorite soup was dangerous criminals. Their brains. Because their brains tasted good different. Flavor. Huh? So he hung out in the most icy cantina where a lot of dangerous criminals hung out. Okay. His target during the cantina scene, when yeah. he was there smoking his hookah, yeah. he was thinking about eating Greedo. Oh, but is Greedo that evil? No, he's not. But I was he's, he's, he's kind of he's, a low level mook. He's a dangerous criminal, quote unquote. But he was killed by Han Solo, and so he's like, oh, I guess I gotta find someone else. But in that moment, he smelled intoxicating scent. Through the bar, the soup of this old man in a robe. Hmm, this smells awfully intriguing, as does this young man next to him. What a prime specimen. I'd love to eat their soup of life. But he tried to probe Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan deflected him with Jedi skills. Instead, he had to settle on eating Han Solo's soup instead. He was going to have Greedo. Greedo died. He's going to have Obi-Wan and Luke. Obi-Wan fended him off. They're not criminals, right? But they had... This intriguing, force-sensitive soup that would just taste delectable on his anzati But before he could eat Han Solo's soup, they left Tatooine. And Jericho was like, oh, all rats. Lost my meal. I mean, he's in the most wretched hive of scum and villainy you'll ever find in the galaxy. So surely he'll find somebody to eat. He'll find someone else. Um, He's like Dexter. He kind of is. He's like Dexter if instead of like... You know, stabbing people to death. Dexter, like, drank their brain out through their nostrils. With his proboscis. <laughs> and um, if instead of becoming a secret lumberjack at the end, he, like, didn't do that. Well, he doesn't become a secret lumberjack. Uh, after the Battle of Yavin, he actually became a bodyguard for a short time. Really? He was hired by a guy called Mammon Hul to protect his niece and nephew from an assassin. Did he do it? Well, the assassin tried to attack him, and Dan and Jericho ate his brain. Oh, good. All right. That's what you're supposed to do. That's actually from a book series I want to cover later called Galaxy of Fear. They're basically like Star Wars Goosebumps for kids. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Danik Jericho's in one of those. That's going to be super fun. After protecting the kids, he returned to Tatooine and visited Jabba's palace because, again, lots of criminals there. Oh, yeah. It's like a smorgasbord. And he was happy to see that Han Solo's carbonite slab was on the wall. Oh. Ooh. Had a pleasant surprise. You just burrow in there and just... Come to (laughs) Danik. And he planned to make his move. But then the Rebel Alliance swooped in and rescued him. Oh my him. god, nothing goes right for Danica. He just wants to eat a meal. Danica's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll go for the big man himself. Who's more delicious than Jabba the Hutt? Oh my god, and he doesn't have, like, a big brain? Huge brain, dangerous criminal. Oh my god, this he's is like... He's delicious. The, uh, he's gonna smell bad, This though. is the flame mignon, the stinky flame mignon of Soup of Life. But then Leia kills him. Oh, for cry I. Dan, just can't catch a break. He must be so hungry at Well, this point. here's what happens. Here's the last paragraph here. Mad with vampiric hunger and rage, Jericho killed a number of unfortunate survivors at Jabba's palace and fled Tatooine to continue with his endless search for soup. Now with a hefty bounty on his head and topping the list of such bounty hunters as the notorious Boba Fett. So That's it, like me when I go to Panera and they're just out of food. You just go on a rampage. I go on a rampage in an endless search for soup. Soup of life <laughs> in a bread bowl. <laughs> yeah, did he eat it in a bread bowl? Yes. That's what I want to know. <laughs> so as far as we know, even in the time of the new movie, since Anzadi live a long time, Danny Jericho still might be around eating soup eating of life. Soup. Eating yeah. soup. Yeah. That's our soup that's a contender. Skull. So Oof. we have Malak, um, no. the worst spy on Tatooine versus Danic Jericho, the immortal space vampire. No question, Danic Jericho. Danic Jericho's gone to the He's next gonna round. He's going to eat Satan's soup. Now are we judging them purely on their fighting abilities? Yes. Okay. 
In that case, dead. <laughs> what else would we judge them? <laughs> their their quality of life, their cool story. Their, their oh no! Interesting... I, I honestly, I think that um, Satan's story is cooler. Yeah, like I think it's more interesting. But he's such a pathetic guy. Like he's definitely going to get eaten. I mean, he got he he died on his own story. He so does. I think I think that shows. He also got shot. He also took an arrow to the knee or whatever while he was taking a crap. So. Okay, so going on to the semifinals is Danik Jericho. Yeah. Now the next set of brackets. This is kind of an interesting one. It's two people again, kind of like with like we had uh, before with Doctor Evazon and Panda Baba. Yes. Now we have Lack Sivrak and Dice Ibigon. Okay, so one is just wearing a werewolf mask. Yeah. Literally a store-bought werewolf mask that's not even, like, tucked into anything. Yep, yep. And the other one is, like, a tentacle with, with like, ma- four sort of graspy teeth. Yes, so Lack Sivrak is the aforementioned wolfman costume <laughs> that they clearly just pulled off the shelf. Just, like, wearing a t-shirt. And, yes, and Dice Ibigon <laughs> is the tentacle leech monster. I like I like the tentacle leech monster. This story is going to be kind of tough for you to pick because it's going to go in a direction you maybe did not expect. Oh, okay. One I did not expect. And I was researching the story. Hmm. Like Sivrek, uh, the Wolfman is a species called a Shistavanen, which is just wolf people. Right. He's a, he was a scout and tracker, and he started his career hunting for the Empire, and he was really good at it, like finding new planets and tracking down the local wildlife, looking for rebel bases and stuff like that. But he found out how bad the Empire was, obviously. Like, it's pretty yeah. obvious at the start. And he let a moon full of rebels go unreported. Oh. And they found it later, man. like, Black? Good man. Black Sivrak? He didn't tell us about this moon. He's like, I'm out. So he left, and he was on the <laughs> lamb. He had to flee, and like all good fugitives, he went to Tatooine. That's where you gotta go, on the Outer Rim. Now, that's Lax Ivrek's backstory here. Dice Ibigon was a Force-sensitive Florn Lamproid. Florn Lamproid? Yeah, Lamproids are like these lamprey creatures. They have these lamprey mouths with a bunch of teeth. They have a poison stinger. And a lot of them are Force-sensitive. Yeah. Including... Force-sensitive lampreys. That's a freaking nightmare. Uh, she looks scary, but she's actually kind of nice. She was part really? of the Rebellion. She was a Rebellion agent. Really? Dice Ipagon. The Rebellion does not judge. Okay? The Empire would say, like, I get away from me, vermin. You know, the Rebellion's like, come on. I come on, She's down. like, oh, I want to help your righteous cause. I'm like, oh, you look kind of funny. I'm going to take a hard pass on that. But the Rebellion's <laughs> like, no, no. We need every man we can get. Every leech we can get. You're on our team. Uh, she was Force-sensitive. Like I said, she possessed this peculiar time-shifting attunement oh. to let her relive past moments while retaining her memories of the first time the events took place. That's cool. Yeah, she could go back in her memory and kind of relive stuff she wanted to do. It could also be practiced after her death, which is interesting. You'll see, you'll see how that comes into play later. So she was an agent of the Rebellion and worked as a recruiter. Who can say no to a face like that? I, I mean, seriously, that's who I want to put front and center. A Florin Lamproid. My public face. So one day, Lax Sivrak headed to the cantina... Expecting to have a drink alone and maybe do some business. Find some some hunting jobs or something. Now, this is a paragraph that is, like, one of the sauciest paragraphs on Wikipedia. Like, sexy? Well, let me read it to you, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to get your reaction, okay? Oh, my. The Shistavanen then looked around the bar and saw the snake-like female Dice Ibigon, a mysterious Florn Lamproid. Sivrak perceived Ibigon's sex through her pheromones. She then turned to him and seductively offered to buy him a drink. Feeling a rise in temperature of meeting her, Sivrak partially undressed and sat next to her. What? Wait, so he starts, like, taking his clothes off? Unbuttoning that t-shirt. That's not what you do in a bar when you see someone sexy. You don't just start taking your clothes off. You wait till you get home. Ipigon shared a drop of her bantha blood with Sivrak, putting it in his muzzle with her tail. Wow. Sivrak used all of his social skills to impress her with romantic words in an attempt to seduce her. The two found that they had much in common. They were both by nature predators, and they both hated the Empire. Soon they were embracing, sharing what they called a predator's kiss. But they were interrupted when perceiving the nearby fight between the Aquilish thug Panda Baba and a lightsaber-wielding old man. Oh my god, what a what a block. Yeah, seriously, Obi-Wan, <laughs> come on, man. We thought Danic Jericho got blocked. No, this is this is the ultimate block. Sivarak thought the local Imperial authorities would soon be at the cantina to investigate, and not wanting to be spotted by them, decided to leave, and Ibigon went with him. Wow, so they were like fully prepared to bang in this bar. At least make out big time. They were seriously going to get to at least, like, second base in this cantina. Now, when you saw them in the cantina, would you say, oh, this is definitely a date? No! <laughs> I wouldn't even have thought they knew each other. Yeah. Wow. True love blossoms in the cantina. After that, the two formally joined the alliance, and they were part of, you know, a lot of rebel operations. They are actually at the Battle of Hoth. 
Really? They fought in the trenches against AT-ATs. Didn't you remember seeing them? No. Was that Florida Lamproid in the, in, in the ice? Remember, remember that? Remotely. Remember the Wolfman with the gun shooting at <laughs> AT-ATs? I definitely would have recognized the conspicuously bemasked Wolfman in a t-shirt. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? They were there. The two lovers were eventually separated when Ibigan was grievously wounded when a large piece of shrapnel deeply punctured her thorax. Oh, no. At the Battle of Hoth. Sivrak located her, and though by that point she had bled too much to have any chance of survival, Ibigan told Sivrak to continue his fight against the Empire and to believe in the Force before finally passing away. Aww. And Ibigan became a Force ghost. Aww. He had to, he's like, you know, I don't want to do this. That is a tragic <gasps> tale. I, mean, I assume he howled, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. So even though his lovely Lamprey wife died, Lax Sivrak continued with the rebellion and was a pilot during the Battle of Endor. And he never forgot Ibigan. In fact, he was discovered he was actually able to use her force time-shifting ability to relive the first time they met at the cantina. Oh, over and over again. So while flying at the Battle of Endor and dodging TIE fighters and stuff, he actually had a vision during that with those powers of them meeting for the first time. But it was different because in this version... People were talking about Jabba the Hutt being killed, but they had met well before Jabba the Hutt had oh, been killed. Oh, the Mandela effect. Yeah, it's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. The Jabba effect. He realized Ibigan was giving him a way out. He could leave alone without Ibigan and not have, you know, this this terrible tragedy not happen to him. bereaved. Yes. I know what he picked, though. You know what he picked. He stayed with Ibigan in the vision. Of course he did. And when he came out of the vision, he decided to be with her permanently. And he crashed his X-Wing into the surface of Endor. What, intentionally? Yes. So he killed himself? Yes. Holy shnikes. But thankfully, the two of them stayed on Endor as Force Ghosts for all eternity. Oh, so they're together still. Now, I have one little last note here that's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> Special edition. <laughs> yes. They did overlack Sivrak. They said, okay, Dice Epigon, Tentacle Monster, that's cool. Wolfman from the Halloween store. Not so good. <laughs> so they... They went over him with a whole new alien. Wait, he's not a wolfman anymore? Lax Sivrak is not in the special edition. It's a guy called Ketwall. And there's a really stupid little note at the bottom of the Lax Sivrak article. <laughs> yes. At some point, the two left each other for a time with a pack thip named Ketwall taking Sivrak's vacant seat. <laughs> okay, so, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like, 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 he's like, still, oh, you know, I'm going to go drain the hose the, or whatever. The, the, and dates then... still, the date still happened. Don't yes. worry. It's still canon. But um, um, this other guy sat there. He sat down for like a couple seconds. That just happens to be with the camera caught him. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Sivrak still exists. So this bracket, you have a difficult choice. Who's going to win the fight? Lax Sivrak or Dice Ibigan? Why are they fighting each other? Because that's how I put them in the bracket. You didn't make Muftak and Cabe fight each other. No, because they're buds. I thought it'd be interesting to have a lover's quarrel. Now, if you don't want to take the choice of having either one of them destroy each other, we don't have to send one on to the next bracket. We can send on Danic Jericho to the finals if you don't want to worry about having these two lovers. I think that's what I'm going to have to do. I can't have them face off against each other. That's heartbreaking. Okay. Plus, they probably do it in like an unnecessarily sexy way. Okay. So, Lax Sivrak and Dice Ibigan are both Force Ghosts! <laughs> so, now we're on to the finals. The game we've all been waiting for. Two teams ready to face each other. On one side, we got Muftak and Cabe, the Tals and Chadrafan sneak thieves. On the other side, we have Danic Jericho, the ever-living, soup-loving vampire. Who is going to win the most Isley Madness tournament? Okay, so here's the thing. Okay. These space vampires. Yes. Do they have to catch their prey unawares, like when they're sleeping or trapped in carbonite? They have or... to probe them. They have to be a willing, not willing, but at least they can kind of like, kind of like a vampire. They can kind of seduce you a little bit and get closer to you. They and... have to seduce. You. Yes. See, here's what I think. Yeah. I think the space vampire would try to seduce Muftak. Because Muftak's bigger. Yeah. Thinking Muftak's the major threat. He's already got that proboscis. It's a perfect tube for right, his... Right, exactly. So I'm yeah. going to go after him. Yeah. Can't seduce Cave. Because Cave's too little. Cave's too little. He's like, I don't want to seduce a kid. That's gross. Cave, yeah, that's like pedophilia. Whatever. Cave's that's an disgusting. adult. That's a secret. That's a secret. But looks like a child. And so space vampire is like, okay, obviously I'm going to go for the bigger one. You so Danic Jericho's going for big, 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 big old muff tech. Right. But I'm assuming this vampire is only going to be like, you know, possessing him. Right. Or, 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 seducing, or seducing him. him. So Cave is not affected. So Cave sees like exactly what's going on. So Cabe is going to like sneak up from behind while this is going on and cut off those little proboscises. Oh. Oh. Slice them right off as they're going from Muftak's nose. Now that probably won't kill Danic Jericho, but it will make him retreat from the fight because those are his precious proboscis. Right. Well, while he's retreating, then they'll just shoot him in the back of the head. 
So you're saying <laughs> the winners of Most Eisley Madness are your first choice. Muftak and Cabe. Absolutely, they're Muftak and Cabe. All right. Those are, that's our champion of the Most Eisley Madness tournament. Muftak and Cabe. And so ends the Most Eisley March Madness tournament. Wow. Would you have predicted that outcome? I didn't know who was going to win. I, I, I was... Did you have any inkling at all? I knew Malak wasn't going to win. <laughs> you just put him in there because his story is funny. It is funny. <laughs> the only reason you knew that he wasn't going to beat anyone. I knew Panda Baba wasn't going to win. Right. Because he's also a pathetic a, a idiot. A chump. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for being the impartial judge. Yeah, I'm pretty impartial. I mean... I mean, I'm sure, like, the fact that Muftak and Cave won had, like, absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I didn't want a space vampire to kill this, like, adoptive dad-daughter team. Yeah. And you know what, though? I think by having them as a as a, a duo, that gave them a lot of advantages. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. could look out for each other, you know? And a lot of the people they were going against, like, were trying to kill people in, in sort of sneaky or duplicitous ways. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to do that when you've got two people who are watching each other's backs, so... And so they, get, they win a trip to Endor... <gasps> to visit Lax, Sivrak, and Dice Ibagon's Force Ghosts. Do they also win a Huffy Bicycle, Hush Puppy Shoes. A trip to Space Camp. Um, uh, like, Infinite Supply Blow Pops. Yes. Oh, good. Very much Mark so. Mark Summers would be so happy. He would be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got. <laughs> nice job, dear. Okay. Well, I think next week I am going to do the Rohirrim. Rohirrim? Yes, potentially. We'll see. That's still tentative, but I think that's what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll do Greedo and the Rodeer Hiram. Rodeer? I see what you, well, try to do there anyway. Rodians. Yeah. So, um, anyway, until next week, everybody pray for me because I have lost eight pounds over the past, like, six days. Pray for my cat because he has a catheter stitched to his wee-wee. Yep, let, let, um, let Gonk know your prayers. Just, yeah, pray to Gonk, please. Also, you can pray for us on iTunes. And yeah, one one five star rating equals one prayer. One prayer. <laughs> Write the contents of your prayer in the comments. Yes, uh, you can pray for us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can pray for us on our website www.whatslightsabersprecious.com, which you definitely want to visit because I did that fan art of the Winnie the Pooh characters as the Fellowship of the Ring. So. It is top drawer. Trust me, you do want to see it. So please go there. Kanga is Morgoth, and um. Piglet as Gollum added years to my life. You can email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or Twitter. Just search What's Lightsabers Precious. And I think that's about it. you think people li- listen this far? Do you think they, like, hear us start talking about all of our plugs and just, like, turn it off? I might, because that's what I do a lot of times when I listen to podcasts. You gotta find honest. something to put at the end. We gotta put a stinger at the end to get them listen through, make it all worth it. You know, that's what they try to do on podcasts sometimes, but then I just go like skip, 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 skip until I get to the thing at the end. Well, because like, I'm a terrible fan. Okay, well. I just gave them ideas now. If you're a terrible fan, we'll give you something to listen to <laughs> okay. next time, okay? At the end. We'll figure out some, that terrible We'll fans. find a good button, okay? All right. All right. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.